thousands of different species of mold. Uh, generally, from a remediation perspective, they tend to be broken down into families of mold. Welcome to Beyond Clean with Jim, a podcast that brings to you on your schedule and your environment current and relative conversations on subjects that impact you, the individuals in the cleaning industry who save lives every day. Beyond Clean with Jim is streaming to you through Podbean from their studios inside Jim Supply in Central Florida. From their six locations, Jim Supply has been improving lives with clean supplies since 1930. Check out our options today for education, product, and equipment at jimsupply.net. Check out the seven pillars of the Jim difference. At Jim, we are not just another vendor, we are your partner. Now let's join your host, Dave Thompson, as he talks with yet another influencer in the cleaning industry here on Beyond Clean with Jim. Hello, everyone. This is Dave Thompson again. I am with you here. It is actually a Monday afternoon uh, as I am recording this. And you know, every time that you think of a Monday, you go, well, what are the challenges today? Well, mine this morning started with one of those that I just very rarely have. Apparently, sometime over the weekend, I ran over a screw. And this morning, I didn't make it to my broadcast because I was in the tire shop getting a new tire. How does that sound for the way your Monday morning started? And then when I got here, I couldn't do the podcast because my keyboard wouldn't work. So it's a Monday afternoon, and I'm just hoping, above all, that my guest speaker is with me this afternoon because here at Beyond Clean with Ace, we like to talk about everything except for just cleaning toilets and washing windows. Since it is where the cleaning industry talks, my speaker is going to talk to us about hmm, something that I don't like. You know, I have uh, COPD. Breathing is hard for me. And this past week, I was in a building that the must and the meld and the everything gave me a, a two days worth of really bad breathing. So I hope that this gentleman is going to be able to help us with some of these issues when it comes to indoor air quality and breathing and so forth. Anyway. Let's see if things work well for us today. So if things worked, I see a video. I hope I have a voice from Tim here. I can hear you as well. So I think we're pretty good. Day's Ooh. turning around. Gosh, it's been a Monday. I tell you, Tim, <laughs> I, I, I was, you know, I, I guarantee you, when the keyboard didn't work this morning, I'm going, what else could go wrong? <laughs> I've all, all had days like that, unfortunately. We got... Got some people out of the office, so I've just been absolutely slammed this week as well. So, uh, but I'm glad to be able to take the time and talk to you. You know, I had a contractor that talked to me this morning, Tim, and he said he had an employee that got sick on the job, and he said, you know, we're supposed to clean up the mess, and she created a mess. So, uh, you know, hey, I I'm glad that we're both here. It's a Monday, folks. We're going to talk about cleaning. <laughs> um, but Tim, let's have you introduce yourself to our guests or uh, to our audience. And what do you do and why are we talking to you today? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Tim Swackhammer. I'm the founder and CEO of Mold Medics and Mold Medics Franchising. Uh, and we are an emerging franchise brand that focuses on indoor air quality issues. So obviously, as the, the name implies, mold is really our key focus. Uh, but we're here to address kind of all things indoor air quality. So we also uh, work with radon, radon mitigation systems, testing, uh, some other indoor air quality tests, and air duct cleaning as well. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, I was in a building this past week that had a lot of issues. I mean, 
Um, let's just say it's an old 70s building. It's been there for a very long time and people weren't taking care of it well. As a person with COPD, I suffered for two days after that. Uh, we're not talking commercial stuff today because I think most of what you do, Tim, is residential. That's correct. Yeah, we do some commercial, but it's definitely residential is definitely our key focus. So how do how do people come to you and find are they searching for a certain thing or is this a word of mouth business? So it is word of mouth, but we also emphasize a heavy digital presence to make sure. I mean, I, I always think of it this way. Uh, people have a problem, then they go and start looking for a solution. So particularly when we're talking about a radon issue or a mold problem, uh, they're going to discover that problem and then they're going to go start finding solutions. So we try to make sure that our digital presence is really optimized uh, so that whenever they go and they start trying to find, hey, who can fix this issue? We're the top of the list. So what is the normal issue then? I mean, you know, I mean, do they already know what it is? They already had somebody that was there or are you the first guy on the on the list? Yeah, so there's the there's no real normal issue that we encounter. I mean, we encounter a whole different, a whole wide gambit of different problems um, where we're a little bit different. A lot of people, whenever they think of mold remediation or mold removal, uh, they think of your large restoration contractors, so your serve pros, uh, service masters, those kind of things. And in truth, they really aren't very focused on the indoor air quality space. Their restoration, it's a whole different beast. They work with insurance companies. You have a big water loss. Uh, typically, you contact your insurance company. The insurance company contacts them. They come out and deal with it. But uh, what we found is there's a, a whole space of people, predominantly homeowners, that have indoor air quality problems from problems with the building science, the way the building's constructed, problems with the maintenance of the building. Uh, and to speak to the janitorial side, problems with just keeping it clean. Uh, and these over time can create significant indoor air quality problems that, like you said, with your COPD, uh, they can contribute to significant health issues. So that's really the sandbox that we like to plan. So, so do these people, I mean, I'm thinking about it cause I have the, I have the breathing issue. So I'm, I'm very acutely aware of these issues. Are most people aware of these issues before they call you or did they just think they have an issue or. Somebody said, hey, I got sick because I came to your house. Yeah, so that's a great question. We really kind of see two separate groups of clients. Uh, the yeah. first are the ones that find the problem and then they start finding us. So they, they identify a mold issue. Sometimes it's because they're selling a house and a realtor or home inspector finds it uh, or yeah. an appraiser finds it, uh, in which case they start looking for, for some solutions to make sure the house can get sold or same situation, but they're buying a house. Uh, so that's sort of one category of them. Uh, and also the obvious, like, Hey, I just, I went in my basement for the first time in months and found this issue here. That's pretty evident. Um, that's kind of one category of, cl uh, client for us. And then the other one are people who are suffering from chronic issues related to a lot of times environmental problems. So these people have been exposed to mold over a long period of time or other issues that, can be exacerbated by mold exposure. Um, and they're really finding us kind of a different way. Typically they're noticing something going wrong physically with them. And that's whenever they start looking, okay, what could be causing this uh, or contributing to it and start looking for solutions from there. 
I suppose that whenever you're talking to those people that are either buying or selling a house, that this is something that we're on a time crunch here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, whenever it comes to real estate transactions, they they need to get it done and they need to get it done quickly. Um, it's really, it's been interesting just over the past few years going from the market in 2018, 2019, and then once you hit pandemic, everything shuts down completely and then reopen the housing market goes absolutely bananas. People are waving inspections rest left and right. Uh, and it went from a lot of stuff that was tied to the real estate transaction to, okay, now they've moved into the house and they maybe waived an inspection and now they're finding these problems. Uh, so so I, I'm thinking now you're on that side of the coin rather than the front side now? Yep. I mean, right, right now it's starting to shift a little bit more back to how it sort of is normally where people are getting more inspections and everything. But uh, for a while there, I mean, for most of 2021, 22, 2022, uh, people were just, they had their foot on the gas. They wanted to get that deal closed. They knew house prices were continuing to rise, so they didn't want to let the deal possibly suffer. Uh, so they were waiving inspections and they really weren't doing a lot of the standard due diligence that goes into a real estate transaction. So there was a lot of different problems that they were finding afterwards. Uh, and it created some situations that were fairly easy to deal with, but there were definitely some that were uh, very, very challenging for the clients because they really had no concept of what they were getting into. Well, I'm thinking as you're talking about this, Tim, I'm thinking, okay, that also presented a little bit more issue for you because they're already in the house. They've already occupied it. It would have been much easier if it wouldn't have been that way. Yeah. I mean, vacant properties are always easier to work on without a doubt. Um, but at the same time, it's, I much prefer it when we're working with whoever is going to be staying in the house long-term oh, because okay. unfortunately something we do see whenever we're on the, uh, it's a real estate transaction. And let's say we're working with the seller. Uh, they are much more price conscious as oh, yeah. sort of their, their key motivating factor. Whereas whenever we're working with the buyer, whoever's going to be living there, they understand and they're, they have reasonable concern about the actual health implications. So as with kind of any business, there's your jack of all trade handyman that's going to come in and offer to do it for absolutely nothing. And uh, it, it can be frustrating sometimes on the seller side dealing with some of them versus the buyers who really get and understand that they're going to be living here for a long time. They want to make sure it's a healthy environment for them and their family. So, you know, from what I know, and, I, and hey, folks, I got to tell you, I'm I'm good at the cleaning part, the getting rid of what's visible uh, to a point. Uh, but I understand enough to know that just because you got rid of the visible mold doesn't mean that mold's killed. But then again, Tim, you're not dealing with one type of mold. Now, I'm down in Florida. You're in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, are we talking about the same types of mold? What are we What are we talking about typically here? Yeah, so we definitely can be. I mean, there are some that are a little bit more regionally based, but uh, there, it's more different types of situations that can cause the mold based on where you're located. So around here, we've got a lot of basements um, and there are a lot of older homes. We also have a uh, topography that's fairly hilly. So we end up with a lot of water runoff drainage issues that can lead to wet, damp basements uh, and can contribute to pretty significant basement issues. Whereas in Florida, uh, you're going to have more issues related to some of your hurricane and some of the high wind damage that can cause damage to homes over long periods of time. 
uh, as well as humidity issues. Um, we see those too, but we see them generally for a fairly short portion of the year. Whereas in places like Florida, where you've got much higher humidity year round, uh, you're going to have a lot more humidity related problems. Oh yeah. And we have roof leaks like, uh, like every day. I mean, you know, cause it rains almost every day for an amount of time. So we've got roof leaks where you got basement leaks. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, every area, there's going to be a lot of overlap, but there's definitely going to be some things that you'll see more of or less of depending on where you're at in the country. Now, now you're now just because the main office is there in Pennsylvania, as we're talking here, Tim, uh, you're not only in Pennsylvania, correct? Yeah, so we actually we service Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia at the moment. Um, we do have another franchisee, and we're actively looking to continue to grow our footprint uh, through franchising, so we can begin to serve more markets and more areas. Okay, so. That means you do have to be up on the different issues that different regions have because you're franchising. Um, is the mold, I mean, you know, everybody says, oh, it's just mold. Um, there's different classes, different grades, different types. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the the big one, anytime people think about mold, they think of stachybotrys, black mold, toxic black mold. It's got a whole bunch of different scary monikers that... Uh, really get a lot of credit in the headlines whenever you're talking about mold issues. Right. Um, and that that's definitely, it has the most significant health implications tied to it. Um, and that one is, again, it can be found everywhere. And that is tied to long-term, fairly heavy amounts of water. So, so like, this the is shower, some, like the showers and, and around the laundry area and stuff like that. Um, actually more so uh, like a long-term basement, uh, water intrusion issue where you've got okay. just, if you've got a finished basement, you've got drywall that is just constantly getting soaked from the exterior walls. That's going to end up with that kind of problem. Um, so that'd be like a, a leaky roof and we got water down the wall. Leaky roof definitely could cause it. Um, leaky plumbing fixtures is a big one. Uh, <laughs> whether that be high pressure lines or uh, typically for us, the real problematic ones are the actual sewage lines, uh, even more so than the high pressure lines because Generally, like if somebody's, I mean, something we see occasionally, people are putting up pictures in their home, uh, they're hanging stuff on the walls and they're not thinking about it. They use too long of an anchor or whatever, and they go through a water line. Uh, a lot of times, if you do that on a high pressure line, you're going to know it pretty much immediately. Pretty, pretty, yeah, Whereas, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas if you set it, you push that through a, uh, a PVC drain line, you're not going to notice that immediately. And what can happen is it just slowly drains uh, and slowly leaks over a long period of time. And then it starts at the baseboard. Uh, and that can be very problematic because if you think about like, I've got six inch baseboards in my home, uh, the water has to completely permeate beyond that and basically wick up the surface beyond before that baseboard you before you start acting. Anything. Exactly. Yep. And then you go okay. and you take the baseboard off and you've got a much bigger issue when you only actually saw just a, a very small area. Yeah, so I get this all the time, Tim. I'm just going to mix up some bleach and water and spray the black mold and make it go away. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't work, really. Well, yeah, um, it does because it goes away. <laughs> Come on, Tim. So where where that can work um, would be in your. Uh, a lot of it comes down to the substrate, the surface that we're working on. So if we're working on a uh, non-porous surface, if you've got like metal or glass, a lot of your like. Uh, fiberglass bathtubs, those kind of things. 
the mold won't actually grow into those surfaces. It's not going to grow on that substrate. It grows on the dust and the grime that is accumulated on them. So okay. actually thoroughly cleaning and removing that biofilm removes the full food source for the mold. And then, yeah, you can, you can clean it up with bleach or a household cleaner uh, and basically remove it because you're removing its food source. Where it gets problematic is whenever you have drywall or you have wood trim or any of those uh, types of building materials, most of what we use in our house is a dead plant of some kind. So it's paper, it's wood products, and that's molds are their, their purpose in nature is to break down dead plant material. It's why when you go outside, you don't just see tons of dead leaves and all that just sitting around everywhere. It's because mold breaks it down over time. And the problem is we build our houses out of dead plant material. So when you've got mold on something like that, it needs to actually be removed completely uh, in order for you to clean it and be rid of the issue. So part of your remediation is actually getting rid of the dead plant-based building material. Yep, absolutely. So we'll go in and basically, I mean, our, our typical remediation process starts with setting up a containment. So we're setting up plastic containment for the area that we're actually working in. Uh, and we're going to contain off any doorways and access points, set up zip walls um, and contained entry points so that we're not spreading it into other areas of the home. Because whenever you go through and obviously if you start uh, ripping up drywall and you start ripping up any of those kind of materials, even with the best practices in place, you're going to make some of that go airborne that wasn't before. So, so you're probably also going to set up negative air systems too. Absolutely. Yep. Yep, negative air systems where we can, um, and a lot of air scrubbers and stuff to, to help supplement and to help make sure that anything that is getting airborne is being cleaned uh, prior to removing that containment and at the end of the service. So, uh, so yeah, we're going through, we're setting up containment, making sure all the registers are blocked off, all of that. Um, and then, yeah, we start with the, the demolition. So removing any areas of water damage, any areas of obvious mold growth, um, and really making sure that everything is physically removed from the environment, properly bagged and removed and disposed of. Um, and then it goes into process that uh, uh, you guys are much more closely associated with. It's basically a detail cleaning. So we're going through and we're HEPA-vacking all of the surfaces, right. uh, anywhere that could hold dust, anywhere uh, that was contaminated in any way, we're gonna hit them with a HEPA-vac. We're gonna go through spray, uh, multi or multi-step wipe down process to remove absolutely anything that's there. Um, and then finally, just as kind of a, a catch-all, we will apply a disinfectant to any of the uh, treated areas to make sure that if there's anything that could be lingering behind, that gets treated and then for the finishes, finished surfaces, uh, go through and remove that as well. Oh, and then after you get through, somebody gets to go in and rebuild all of that. Yep, that's right. Okay. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, if a building's not occupied, that's not a tremendously bad thing. I'm also thinking about two other issues as you're talking about this, because, I mean, here in Florida, I've seen this a number of times where we have buildings that get tinted because of rodents and, and other things. Uh, and then also I'm thinking asbestos abatement because, you know, you're talking about old buildings and old mold and stuff. I'm sure you have to deal with both of those as well. Yes. So particularly on the asbestos side, that is something that we encounter fairly regularly, just depending on where we're working on. So that's part of our assessment process. We always go 
go through the age of the home, uh, make sure all of our guys are trained in identifying uh, suspect asbestos-containing materials, uh, and then we have a couple different crews that we work with that can come in and either test for uh, and do uh, removal of asbestos before in conjunction with our service, depending on exactly what the situation is. Yeah, so you identify it, and if it's there, you wait till they get through before you come in to do your... Correct. Now, do, yep. whenever they do their, their asbestos, do they re do some of the remediation for you as a natural part of the asbestos removal? It can happen. It's not that common. Um, generally, what we see is there's, there's some asbestos-containing material in the area that we're going to be working where we could come in contact with it. So that's when they'll come in, depending on where it is and what we're actually doing. They'll either encapsulate it or remove it. But yeah, absolutely. Sometimes, especially some of the the flooring tile and stuff like that can be something that they're removing that we would have had to remove otherwise. Ah, okay. All right. So do you run into the rodent issue as well when you get into all of this? Occasionally, for sure. Um, I mean, the knock on wood, surprisingly, rodents aren't as much of an issue as you would think. Uh, some of the other creepy crawlies can definitely be problematic. I mean, we do a lot of work in uh, attics and crawl spaces as well. Okay. that it's not uncommon to find squirrels, snakes, uh, all kinds of different bugs in there as well. That can be uh, can definitely be a little bit problematic. It's knock on wood, it's fairly few and far between that we actually end up needing to call somebody else in for uh, a severe pest infestation, but it does come up from time to time. Well, so you're not getting, you, you don't have like an insect or wasp or hornet nest or something like that, bees? you know, that you have to deal with? Not often, thankfully. <laughs> okay, well, hey, you know, that's why it's a podcast, man. I'm just thinking about all these, because, I mean, mold and, and stuff has no boundaries. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and especially with, like, the bugs and everything. I mean, a lot of the situations that create an environment that's conducive to mold growth are also conducive to pest infestations. Uh, right, so, yeah. Mean, you've, you've got some sort of, permeation in the building building envelope that's allowing water from the outside that can also allow bugs and everything from the outside. You're creating a, a damp environment, which a lot of these things uh, really enjoy. When I lived in Missouri, we had squirrels and they loved to come in, in through because we had a cedar siding. They found yep. a knot hole in the cedar siding. They came in, built a nest. And then, of course, then the rain came in and there we have a mold issue. Yeah, and a lot of times they will, they'll do that. They'll come in and they'll make the holes worse. They'll uh, rip out insulation and other things that should be helping to prevent problems and, uh, and can definitely right. contribute to a significant issue. Okay, so on the other side of that coin, when people are there, they've been living there for a while. Um, I don't know, if folks, I know this is a podcast, so we're not going to throw any visuals up here if you're watching the video cast right now. But I'm also thinking about these hoarder situations yeah. yeah, where it's just, uh, do you do you work in that area or is that a whole nother remediation type? So we do, I mean, there again, there's a lot of overlap there. Right, I figure uh, so. Depending on, yeah, depending on the severity of the situation, there's some that we will handle um, and there's others that we have a couple different companies that we work with uh, that we'll refer out and have them help to address some of the hoarding issues. Um, it all, it's very situational, but that's unfortunately, again, a lot of the, those hoarding behaviors, 
can really, really, really contribute to significant indoor air quality problems. Well, you know, I think folks, as we talk about this and I, and, and folks, if you're on the podcast and you're not on the video cast, you're probably not going to be able to see everything because you're only listening, <laughs> but we'll, we'll try to make it interactive as much as we can. Um, folks, there is the 800 number for, uh, uh, Mold Medics and uh, website we have scrolling across the bottom. So if you need to get a hold of them, please do. We'll have some also some information in the show notes too later. Um, mold and you know we we started talking there about black mold. Now we got away from that, yeah. but there's other types there too. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a wide variety. I mean, there's thousands of different species of mold. Uh, generally, from a remediation perspective, they tend to be broken down into families of mold. Um, and really, whenever we talk about remediation, the two most common ones we encounter uh, from a problematic perspective are going to be Stachybotrys, um, and then it's going to be ones in the Aspergillus and Penicillium families. Uh, and these are particularly problematic um, because they tend to be more associated with humidity-based growth rather than a long-term water intrusion issue. So these can be very, very bad because basically what happens, you have elevated indoor humidity uh, that just keeps rising over time due to whatever issue with the home. And there's some particular situations I want to talk about in a minute here. Uh, but these humidity-based problems, rather than being very localized to an individual area where you had a water intrusion problem, uh, these can begin to materialize kind of all over. So they end up being a lot more spread out kind of all over the, situ the surfaces of the home. Generally, we'll see them start to appear around like HVAC registers uh, and starting to appear in a lot of the corners of the home where the insulation's not as good because uh, really what's going on is that high humidity uh, eventually is causing the uh, colder surfaces in the home to hit dew point. So you're getting condensation and then that's starting to cause growth issues over time. So uh, that can definitely be a very, very problematic one. And it's probably, uh, in terms of issues we deal with, they're probably the most common because they can just be uh, hard to detect if you don't know what you're looking for. And it doesn't look like what people come to associate with a mold issue. I mean, when people think of a mold problem, they think of that dark black growth that's just on, on a surface, on a wall, what have you. Um, and a lot of a lot of the humidity-based growth is more of a white color and can be borderline invisible until you actually take a flashlight and rather than shining it on the surface, you shine it perpendicular to the surface, and then you can see basically the shadows that are created by the growth coming off of the surface. Um, and it it's really really interesting when you go into areas and you you see that. So you know, I live in a uh, mobile home or motor home, travel trailer, whatever. You know, all of these RVs that we have here in Florida, um, and you know, I don't have all of the same issues. But the one thing that is common is we have air ducts, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, you know, indoor air quality because I'm getting ready to do some uh, indoor air quality with state of Missouri, and so we're talking about air ducts and keeping the HVA. And you mentioned that here a minute ago. Um, Mold grows in there as well. Yeah, so it can. And again, it's when we're talking about mold growth, mold can't actually grow on the metal itself. What it can do is it can grow on the dust and the, the biofilm that accumulates inside the ductwork, uh, as well as, again, if you've got that humidity-based problem, 
you basically have your AC coming through your air ducts. It hits your registers. Those are going to be the coldest surface in the room. So that's going to begin to cause condensation off of them, which now you've got a mold problem uh, coming in around that from all that condensation. Uh, but on the, the actual inside of the air ducts, uh, the main thing is, again, keeping them clean. Uh, it really depends on your individual situation as to how frequently you should have air duct cleaning done, um, how necessary it is, and uh, what you want to consider there. Because there's a wide variety of different uh, different living situations that can create more or less problems in an air duct system. I mean, I, I think one of the things I'm hearing you continue to say, Tim, that's concurrent with what I talk about all the time in the cleaning industry is, folks, you got to remember this is a microorganism just the same as a bacteria or a virus that we talk about in disinfection. Uh, this is more in your fungi area. And so this is, this is still using a biofilm. It's still growing in a microbe biofilm. And I think it's interesting how, you know, the, our society, Tim, has gotten to where all we want to do is just grab a chemical and throw a chemical at it when removal in your case, remediation of that, removal of it, is the biggest thing that we can do. Yep, absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, in the mold remediation space, there are a lot of, we call them spray and pray companies, where, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll come in, they'll spray a chemical or two, and then call it a day. And uh, and charge a customer a hefty arm and a leg for it. Yes, yep, absolutely. And unfortunately, it's not really doing much. I mean, it... it may kill some of the stuff that's there, but there's a, a whole bunch that we can get into about why that's not very effective. I mean, a lot of them, like your bleach-based products, if you're just dousing a mold problem in bleach, it might kill some of the stuff that's on kind of the surface of that growth. Uh, but then the bleach is mainly going to feed it with its high water content uh, and going to contribute to a longer-term problem over time. Uh, so yeah, a lot of it's just... You know, here in Florida, Tim, that's where you get a lot of this because... You know, we have mold that grows on the outside, like on the outside of my trailer, on the awning, mm -hmm. you know, on on the plastic furniture that sits out there. So, yes, uh, we, we take our patty on our decks and we spray it down with a bleach based type product and it goes away. That's different than what you're talking about in the home, though. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing we need to get people to be aware of as we have porous and non-porous surfaces. We don't treat them the same, even though the mold's the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, you're talking patio furniture. It's generally going to be a plastic or something like that. Again, you're through generally you're using a pressure washer or something in that situation. You are effectively cleaning the biofilm off that when you're doing that. So, I mean, it's it. That's really what a lot of it's about. It's just making sure that you're keeping the surfaces clean. And in the case of water intrusion problems, if it's getting into a porous surface, those generally are going to need to be removed. Okay, so uh, we, we've been talking about the mold, and we talked a, a little bit about the indoor air quality because of the air ducts. Uh, I'm assuming that you have some kind of IAQ testing that you do along with this uh, before, after, during. Um, kind of give us an idea of what that looks like. Yeah, so there's a variety of different tests that can be done. And for mold testing, unfortunately, it is, in most areas, the Wild West. Uh, there's not a lot of regulation on it, and there's not a lot of consistency in terms of what's done. Um, so, I mean, we see everything from 
uh, ERMI or Hertzme tests, which are basically collection of a dust sample. Um, it can be informative to help tell you some of the stuff about the property, but they're really not useful from a remediation perspective. Uh, so whenever it comes to remediation, talking about mold, generally we're going to be using uh, either surface samples, so actually sampling what a, the vis visually identified mold, and that's going to be, or the visually suspect mold, uh, and that's going to tell us if it is mold, yes or no, and what type of mold it is, uh, or what family of mold. Uh, and then the biggest one that we use is air testing. Um, so these are using aerosol cassettes, and basically it's pulling in a sample of the air from the indoor environment, and then we do the same test on the outside, and basically comparing and contrasting the results for how many spores there are of what different types, and want to see what that looks like on the outside of the home versus the inside of the home, because if we have types found on the inside that are not on the outside, that's going to tell us that there's a problem coming from the inside. Or if the levels are significantly higher on the inside than they are on the outside, we know that that's not something that's just naturally in the air, because no matter where you are, there's always going to be some level of mold in the air, just the ambient air that happens. But that's well, live. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's again, it's out there. It's breaking down the dead plant material, so it needs to be there. What we want to have is we want to have the air on the outside of the home be similar to the air on the inside of the home. Uh, folks, if you haven't picked it up by now, we need mold just the same as we need yes. bacteria. <laughs> we need these things. We're only talking about the bad stuff. And and understand, you know, all of this is is you know, I guess there's an interesting play on words, if you will. Are we controlling or preventing? And what you're talking about here <clears throat> is you're going in and controlling it, but there's probably a lot of things that people could do to prevent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, whenever it comes to prevention, I mean, as is the, there's a bunch of different sayings on it, but pre, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, all the different variants of that. Uh, with mold remediation, it is 100% the case. Uh, the best thing you can do is prevent a problem from occurring in the first place. Because once it has started to occur, it is a lot more problematic. That's when you get into building material removal and having to do rebuild and all those kind of things versus just keeping it out, which, uh, I mean, there's some obvious stuff, making sure that your uh, exterior building envelope is in good condition. So things like your windows, the caulking around your doors, the door seals, basically making sure that none of those are allowing water to come into the home. Uh, around here, we see a lot of issues with... Uh, the gutters or the downspouts right. uh, around the home and the grating of the earth around the home. So basically right. we wanna make sure that your gutters are working, your downspouts are exhausting the water away from your foundation and the grating is also sloped Going so that from water the foundation, right. Bingo, yeah. <laughs> uh, and what, what we see a lot uh, just through years of basically maintenance neglect, uh, the earth starts to slope towards the home. So now you've got water pulling in. Uh, downspouts that are busted off at the bottom where it's worse than having no gutters at all because you've redirected all of the water from that section of the roof instead of it spreading evenly now it's just putting it at one spot yeah, right, right down to one spot so it goes right into one place and it will find a hole oh yes yep and then i never can believe i can't understand this i know this would get out of the outside of yeah but you're talking outside here so i'm thinking landscaping People that want to pack those shrubs right up against the building and go and water them all the time and think, oh, well, I'll just let the downspout water my plants for me right up against the building. No, no, not, not a great idea. Yeah, yeah and they do it. Yeah, they do. They do. And the, the plant thing can be doubly problematic because you're not only 
Does it encourage you to put more water right there? Uh, but they can also, depending on the type of plants, grow into the siding and begin pulling the siding away from the home and creating more areas where water can get in. Yeah, I, I, I just never have understood why we need to pack uh, landscaping plants against the side of the house. I mean, you know, I'm not, I, hey, I mean, I'm not against having some, but uh, I always believe we should have them in pots and away from the house where I can move them and, and that, but okay, well, that's a whole nother thing. I, I, yeah, I even, have even just leaving a, leaving a bit of a gap behind it is, is a much better choice. And so, you know, then I worked with some people and we did drainage stuff and I've been around more than one house uh, replacing uh, the, the, the paper and the tar on the side of the basement because it was all cracked and everything, putting in the drainage system, digging all the way around the house for it. Oh gosh. Yeah. And unfortunately a lot of those, I mean, once you get into actual basement waterproofing that's going on after the home has been built, Oh. It gets to be very, very expensive yep. and very ineffective just for the, the dollar that you're spending. So uh, you're, you're putting band-aids on a problem. And, and, and yeah. by that point, you don't have a choice though, Tim. Correct. Correct. But the, the best thing you can do is keep the water away from the foundation in the first place. Absolutely. So get it directed, redirected away from the house and make sure that it's dealt with there. So you don't have it. Uh, you don't need the, the waterproofing as much at that point. You know, for somebody that didn't, that hasn't been in this industry and didn't start their life in this industry, you, you've uh, you've done your homework well. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that came, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and a lot of that came from really, as, as we started to sort of dip our toe here, really identifying that number one, there was a large number of customers that were not being served that just didn't have great solutions for indoor air quality problems. If they they had these type of issues. They were generally going to a larger restoration company who wasn't really that interested or that specialized in the type of work that they needed done. Um, and really identifying that, uh, especially on the health side, these people that are experiencing health-related issues to mold or indoor air quality problems, um, there were very, very few resources for them available at all. So it was spending a lot of time researching uh, the processes that could work, researching their experiences. I mean, I'm I'm a subscriber on, I don't even know how many different social media forums for uh, people suffering from like long-term mold problems because I want to understand what they're going through. I want to understand uh, the situations that they've been in that contributed to the problem. I want to understand their experience with other contractors to make sure that we're able to help them as best we can and design a process that really works uh, for those situations, because there there wasn't enough out there at the time. So you're um, not just uh, doing mold. Uh, I noticed on your website radon, which I got to yeah. tell you, I'm not I'm not well versed in that. Yeah, and that to be frank, that's not surprising. Uh, radon is something that is very regional in terms of how. Uh, how much awareness there is. Uh, and it does, some of the regionality does tend to associate with areas that have more significant uh, or more consistent radon issues than others. Uh, but radon is a problem that exists in all 50 states. Uh, there's just certain areas that depending on their uh, geography or actually the geology under their home uh, may have lower frequencies of elevated radon problems. But 
radon at its core, it's it's a gas that comes from the soil. Uh, so it's part of the uh, decay cycle of uranium that's in the Earth's crust. So that uranium is radioactive. It decays over time and goes through a variety of different chemical changes, uh, eventually becoming radon gas. That radon gas uh, emanates from the soil up through and begins to uh, enter our homes through cracks in the foundation, um, drainage lines, any basically anywhere that and that air can get in uh, and it's adjacent to the soil, radon gas can begin to enter. And the problem with radon gas is it's colorless, uh, odorless, uh, and tasteless. So our olfactory senses have absolutely no way of detecting radon gas. Uh, so for most people, it's kind of a out of sight, out of mind. They can't see it. They can't smell it. They can't taste it. So they don't really think about it. Uh, but what happens is as if we're in an environment that has uh, elevated levels of radon gas, we breathe it in. It continues to decay, and that decay emits particles that, uh, through radiation, damage our lungs and uh, contribute to radon being the uh, second leading cause of lung cancer uh, in, the new, in the U.S. So first is smoking, and then second is uh, radon exposure, and radon's the leading cause of cancer among non-smokers. So it is something that's very, very serious, but doesn't quite get the uh, respect that it should. So are we talking only certain types of buildings and certain geographical areas that are more prominent for this? So there's definitely some areas that have higher average radon concentrations than others. Um, particularly a lot of your, your Northeast states um, tend to be higher. It really comes down to the uh, geology under the homes. So the geology of the Earth's crust. So a lot of them um, that have more... Uh, I believe it's limestone tends to have a higher uh, uranium concentration, so you get more radon levels. Uh, but also the actual types of soil that you have underneath the home. Uh, if you have a lot of clay or densely packed things that don't allow air to uh, migrate as much, that can cause radon problems. Well, then uh, I don't have a problem have... here. We, we can't. We, we, we have no clay. We have no soil. We just have sand. Yeah. <laughs> so that definitely it definitely leads to lower average levels. Uh, the problem with radon is that is not a guarantee at all. Um, the only way to really know is to test for it. Um, and that that test will tell you what your average radon concentrations are and if they're elevated enough to uh, require a mitigation system. So I'm thinking and, as you're talking about this, uh, and I haven't looked at all your things on your website, Tim, so you know, I apologize for that. Uh, sure. I, I'm sure that there's different uh, pricings for different ones of these tests if people want to be on the preventative side. Absolutely. So there's some DIY tests. I've got one of them sitting right here. Uh, this is from First Alert, can be picked up uh, at least around here at any of the big box stores. Uh, to be honest, that is something regionally. I haven't been to, I haven't looked for one in Florida, uh, so I don't know how prevalent they are down there. Um, but if not, you can order them online. They're typically going to be under $50 for the test and the laboratory fees. Uh, to be able to test and help identify what your radon levels are. Um, and then on the, the high side of things, to have a professional company come in that may use a variety of different methods, including some similar methods like that, or we use a, a continuous radon monitor that gives a lot more detailed reporting. Uh, that's typically going to be somewhere in the uh, $250 to $400 range. 
And then you build that in along with all of your mold testing and your IAQ. Uh, no wonder you guys are busy. Yeah. So it's it's a really, really important thing because uh, the, the challenge for us from, for Radon specifically is educating the consumer. Because uh, again, it's out of sight, out of mind. You can't see it, can't smell it, can't taste it. So a lot of people just don't think it's a problem. Uh, we do have laws in Pennsylvania that require uh, the realtor give you one of those brochures that talks about radon as a health risk. Um, but anybody who's bought a home recently, generally those go right in the uh, right in the junk drawer if they don't get thrown out pretty much immediately. So uh, a lot of people, even though there's those processes in place, they don't really know. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it. I mean, above the regional thing, probably the biggest misconception we hear a lot is, hey, my neighbor tested for radon and they didn't have a problem. So I probably don't either. Right. And it's logical to think that it, it completely is. I mean, it makes sense. We know it comes from the earth's crust. Generally the geology between uh, you and your neighbor is not going to be all that different, but so much of it is influenced by the actual type of home, the construction, the siding, how basically all of those things influence uh, the stack effect and how much suction that the home puts on the foundation around it. So they can all very heavily influence uh, how much radon gas is actually coming into the home. So we did a test just with, on my street, we tested five homes that were all, I mean, I think the max distance is maybe 200 yards, 300 yards uh, between all five homes and uh, did radon tests in all of them to see, okay, how much variation can there be in a very oh, short area? And what we found is, uh, so for reference, the EPA action level for radon is uh, four picocuries per liter of air, which picocuries is your, your measure of radon gas. Um, so it's per liter of air uh, that you have in the environment. So uh, anything that is above four, they recommend having a mitigation system installed. Okay. Uh, so really what we want to see is definitely below four. Ideally, we want to see it below two um, just for the, the maximum uh, or the minimum health implications. Um, and what we found was my next door neighbor was actually the lowest at 2.6. Uh, but my next door neighbor on the other side uh, was one of the highest. They had 13.8. Oh. And then two houses down from my next door neighbor that had the 2.6 reading uh, was 15.9. So all over the place. Wow. And these are all homes Again, very, very close. They were all built within probably three years of one another by the same builder, uh, same building practices, same types of siding and everything, uh, but significantly huge differences. Buildings breathe differently, and that's what people don't realize is, you know, you're, you know it doesn't expand like your lungs and your chest, but buildings breathe. Um you know, Tim, here at the end of the hour, I mean, heck, an hour's went by so quickly with, you know, really talking about all of this different stuff. Um, you didn't start in this, uh, as I was reading. Uh, tell the folks why you got into this and why it's so important that you continue this now. Absolutely. So, yeah, I my background is in uh, primarily customer service and sales. So I'm a second-generation entrepreneur. It starts with my... My old man originally got involved in uh, small business ownership and franchising uh, way before I was born. And uh, basically, I ended up coming into the family business, which at the time, and we still have them, was a 
uh, wireless stores through a franchise, so uh, Verizon cell phone stores, um, and sort of fell in with that and with family business. And as we kind of grew that, we wanted to get into more different businesses. So we found ourselves in a home service business. Uh, and really from that, that's where we were kind of adjacent to a lot of the indoor air quality stuff. And that's where we started seeing these customers that were having these indoor air quality problems that just there there wasn't great solutions there. So from that and from that sort of identification that, hey, there's, there's these people that need help and somebody that needs to help them, uh, that's basically where Mold Medics came from. And we started getting all the training that we needed and designing the protocols and everything to make sure that we're, we're able to help these people. And now it's really cool because we're able to, I mean, my dad grew up with absolutely nothing, five brothers and sisters and a single mom, um, uh, living in government funded housing. So they didn't have two nickels to rub together and through franchising, he was able to make, uh, my childhood and my life significantly different than how he grew up. And I'm really, really happy that uh, with Mold Medics and with franchising it, we're able to continue to pay that forward and offer a similar opportunity to uh, a whole new generation of entrepreneurs. Well, I was going to ask, how'd you get into franchising? But now I know your dad, you were already doing it before. You just now applied it to this. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, whenever, whenever it came time to grow, we were looking at like, okay, do we want to uh, start to open some more offices and other areas and really... I just love that the franchising model and being able to have more business owners and be able to uh, really share a lot of that experience with others. So I'm thinking that if they get hold of you at this address is here at the bottom, that yep. you'll talk with them about how to set up a franchise. Absolutely. All right. So folks, if you're watching on the video podcast, we've got <clears throat> Tim's uh, um, email address going there. We showed you the website if you're watching. Uh, we've had the ticker up there for the uh, website itself. Um, anything else we want to uh, kind of briefly go over before we close out the show, Tim? I think think we're at a pretty good place. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me on. I think it was a great conversation. And yeah, you were not kidding. An hour absolutely flew by. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Um, you know, there's there's three words, folks, that we always talk about here on our podcast, and that's healthy, positive, and proactive. And I think we talked uh, about all of these. We touched all of those. Um, I do have two questions for you before we go, Tim. And I think I know the answer to one. Were you born in Pennsylvania? Yes. Yep. Born and raised. Born and raised in Pennsylvania. I kind of thought that. I had that feeling. Um <laughs> And I know we're in August of the of this year, so maybe either this year or next year. What's on your personal bucket list? Something that you want to do for you, not the business, but something you want to do for you. So, probably the biggest one uh, I've got. We just booked it maybe a week ago. Uh, I grew up. I had gone on a couple cruises and stuff whenever I was a kid, uh, teenager with my family, my wife has been on one and she was kind of sick for it and kind of hated the whole thing. Uh, but we now have three kids of our own. So I really want to, uh, we're, we got a cruise booked. We're doing it, uh, and middle of this year or middle of December of this year. Uh, we got it scheduled and everything. And I'm, I'm really hoping that she's, she's very on board. She says that she is, I'm hoping she gets sold on it. Uh, cause I would like to continue doing that and really, uh, just spending that quality time with the family. That's, that's the big one for me. 
So where's the cruise going? Uh, it is, uh, I think Eastern Caribbean. So we're, uh, going to a couple different islands. Um, St. Thomas, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, I think Haiti, and I think one of the private islands or something. You know, what's interesting here is everybody, as I ask these questions, folks, uh, when we get closer to uh, the end of our podcast, uh, it, it's interesting how many people are coming on this time of the year, Tim, and most of their bucket list items is travel. Yep. <laughs> well, especially after the past couple of years where travel was definitely not as widely available or you just couldn't do certain types of travel. So, I mean, there's, I think there's definitely, at least for us, there's been some pent up demand there. To say now, the I least. was talking with another guy just a little while back and, and he said it on his bucket list is he's going to retire. I said, well, that's a good one. He says to the Philippines. And I was not <laughs> expecting that. Oh, <one. laughs> like, so, Wow. Now that's yeah. a, that's a permanent travel there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not kidding. What what about you? What's yours? <laughs> uh, we'll hold that for later too. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, folks. There's a reason that we ask these questions here at the end of the podcast. You know, we now know where Tim was born in Pennsylvania. We don't know where he's up, uh, where he's going to end at because he's got a lot of life to live yet. And he's going to help a lot of people with mold remediation yet. Um, what we do want you to know is between now and the end of that, just make sure that journey is healthy, positive, and proactive. Now, you've seen the ticker tape going across. We've given you all of the information on Tim's uh, program. Uh, we also uh, want you to uh, take one of our classes here at the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. Tune in to beyondcleanwithace.com where you can see all of the current and past shows. And, you know... We've got hundreds of YouTube videos. Please go to our YouTube uh, hashtag Academy of Clean. Like and share that. Let everybody know what you've seen and heard. Please share this podcast with them so that they'll learn more about, well, the three things. Mold, indoor air quality, and radon. Tim, thank you for being here. Till we see you again. Thank you very much for having me. Greatly appreciate it.